Second Timothy, please. Second Timothy, in the chapter one. Again, encourage every Bible out. Uh, look at your Bible. Follow along as we come to consider the Word of God again today. We're looking today, really, at the verse number six and seven. Although the context, of course, in the surrounding verses. Let's read those two verses. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's bow together again in the word in the Lord's presence. Heavenly Father, we come again humbly thanking you for your word. We realize, O Lord, your word is truth. And whilst we come to read the words of an apostle to a son in the faith, we understand, O Lord, that these words are inspired and are for all of our benefit today. So may the word of God come in a manner that indeed brings about good fruit in our hearts. Help us to receive the word with meekness. May the word of God be received with submission, realizing, O Lord, our own needs, our need of thy grace, of your mercy. And so encourage us. These are words that do bring encouragement. Therefore, encourage us in the word today. Bring a word even to some unsaved soul that they would bow the knee to Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Speaking from experience, it can be tough to take a word of rebuke. It's hard to receive a word of rebuke or a word of admonition. Naturally, we have a tendency to be defensive, to excuse ourselves, and to deflect the blame to others. After all, we are the children of Adam. We need a humble heart to benefit from kind words that may come to us from a fellow believer. One thing that helps us receive the word is the confidence that the one giving the exhortation really and truly cares for us and loves us. That certainly goes a long way to help us in receiving the word of rebuke and admonition. Timothy should have no doubts regarding Paul's heart toward him. It is clear In the preceding prayer, verse 3 and 3 through 5, that Paul is thankful for what God has done in Timothy's life. And he commends Timothy for his unfeigned faith. Verse 5, persuaded that in thee also. And so Timothy should have no doubt regarding Paul's heart toward him. Now, please understand... This is not Paul using some sort of TED talk scheme of human psychology. You know, in the business world and the workplace, those who have authority are perhaps told to their employees, if you're going to challenge your employee regarding their failures, make sure first you tell them what they've done well. Oh, you did this really well. You know, you 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 made a good cup of coffee. But you can't count, you can't write, you can't, you got, that's just TED talk nonsense. Paul's not doing that sort of stuff. These are the inspired words of the apostle, and in full sincerity, 
He's expressing his heart towards Timothy. He cares for Timothy. He loves Timothy. And so verse 6, he then brings the word of admonition, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stirred up the gift of God. He's sincere. And Timothy understands in the words of thankfulness that Paul prays, he understands the warmth of the affection and the words of appreciation for what God has done in Timothy's life. We, we should convey our love for others. And we should do that in our seasons of prayer. We reflect upon what God has done in each of us' lives as we pray the one for the other. And it is Paul's thankful, prayerful spirit that leads to these words of gentle rebuke. Now I say it, it is a rebuke. And some ideas, well, what's, what's Paul doing here? Well, verse 6, he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. Stir up. It's a wonderful word. And it speaks of the idea of putting life into a fire. It's the actual word itself. It has that, that concept. And so you imagine a fire that is smoldering in the embers. But you know, and again, I've asked this before, they use the word poker here. Like a fire stick, a fire poker, and you put the poker into the fire and you stir up the embers and the fire comes into life again. You bring air into the fire and you stir it up and there's life in the fire. Clearly, Timothy had a gift from God, but the gift was smoldering and not burning. Something was wrong. Paul's words come as a way of admonishing Timothy and as a rebuke. And so you see the context, verse number 8. He then says, Be not thou therefore ashamed. There's the issue. I'll come back to that. But I'm simply showing you here, these words of verse number 6 are indeed not words of suggestion or advice, but they come with the tone of rebuke and admonition. Timothy, all is not well. Now Paul's words, of course, are very personal to Timothy. But they are intended to be shared with others. I didn't point this out before, but the very last verse of the book, verse number 22 of the chapter 4, says this, The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. There's a plural there. It has the idea of the grace of God being with all who will read this letter. This, if you like, is Paul's public letter to Timothy. As a pastor, that's a very sobering thought. The apostle would write to the minister of the church and say, well, stir up the gift and don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. That's what's happening here. And what Paul shares is for all of us, it's for our benefit as he encourages Timothy in the service of Christ Jesus. And he does so in several ways. First of all, he encourages Timothy by reminding Timothy of the will of God for Timothy. You see, the inspired apostle's exhortation reveals the very purpose of God. What is the will of God for you, Timothy? It is that the gift of God that you possess would burn warmly and brightly. This inspired exhortation is a revelation of the will of God for the man of God. That you're not to exist as a minister of the gospel with the embers smoldering dimly, but you're to burn fiercely and ferociously for the cause of Christ Jesus. That's the will of God for you, Timothy. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy 
and that this is God's will for his life. You see, as you think of this gift, there are some things uh, to notice. First of all, please notice the, the source of the gift. The source of the gift is referred to here, that thou stir up the gift of God. The source, of course, is God himself. Now, that is consistent with Paul's teaching elsewhere regarding the gifts that he gives to his church. You turn back just for one example to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 refers to the various gifts that the Lord gives to the church. And in the context of the church being one body, and again, please remember that the Romans chapter 12 is not written to the church universal, but to the church local in Rome. It has a focus, a local focus. And there are one body, and everyone members of another, having then gifts, verse 6, differing according to the grace that is given to us. With their prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, and you get the gifts, giving, ruling, mercy, all those various things are given as gifts to the church. But look, it says in verse number 3, but we're to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. There's a, there's a giftedness that comes from God. And so the context, the grace given to us, is the grace that comes to us from God. And so whilst 2 Timothy 2 clearly has the focus of pastoral ministry, and we'll see that, the application comes to all of us. For every member of Christ's church is given gifts to use for the benefit of the church and for the glory of Christ. So I think I have the right to say to all of you, stir up the gift. Stir up the gift of God that God has given to you. Whatever that gift is, discern that gift and make sure that you're using your gift for the benefit of the church of God and the glory of Christ in His church. See, it comes from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12 refers to these gifts as coming by the Spirit. The Spirit of God by which we are regenerate is the Spirit of God that gives us gifts for the service of the body. The thumb, the ear, the tongue, all of these members are given for the benefit of the body and there are no unnecessary members. So stir up the gift. See, I think for Timothy's purpose here, those words of God, I think, would be very sobering. Don't waste and neglect the gift that God has given you. Don't neglect the work of God in you. If God has done this for you, surely it is imperative that you use what God has given you. So stir it up, the source of the gift. Secondly, the supply of the gift Notice what's described as, again, back, we're back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, the supply of this gift, which is in the, and here's the unusual phrase, by the putting on of my hands. Here's the gift and how it's been supplied. In a sense, it's been supplied through the apostle. Some sort of procedure, some sort of ceremony whereby the hands of the apostle were applied to Timothy, and there is this giving of a gift. Now, here we've got to be somewhat careful. Is this a unique gift given by an apostle 
to Timothy as, if you like, an under-apostle. Timothy's role in the church is more than a regular elder or minister. He, he serves uh, in a role that is beneficial to many, many churches. And so is it just a, a benefit that Timothy receives through the apostle? Well, I think whilst that might be part of the truth, it is not the entire truth. Turn back, please, to the first letter. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And the verse 14. And here you have the balance here between what is a supernatural procedure and also what is ordinary. Verse 14, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy. Here's a supernatural aspect, the temporary gift of prophecy. With the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And here, here's, a, here's a pointer towards the ordinary. The word presbytery here is a, it's a, it's a noun for a collection of elders. It's not the word for elders in the plural. It has this distinct word. It is a collection, a group of elders, a presbytery. And I think that the point of all of this is that the gift that God gives to Timothy is a gift that comes, and please listen, in connection with the church. That God in His wisdom enables and gifts men not outside the church, but in connection with the church and in the context of the New Testament, in the connection of local churches. Timothy is ordained, if you like, out of the church, under the church, for the church. Ministry comes in the connection of church life. And I believe if Paul were to see what takes place in our world today, he would think that is so far removed from the purpose of Christ Jesus. Where the church is central for the ministry of God's people. That they labor, as they say, out of the church. Timothy is a saved man. He's saved by the grace of God. He's a member of the church. And out of that, God gives a gift. A gift of God to Timothy. He's saved. He then serves under the church. This aspect of oversight. The elders are those who exercise the oversight. That's the sense of the word here. They are the shepherds. They oversee. And so Timothy, he's under the hands of the elders. You see that imagery there? He's not a maverick doing his own thing. He's laboring under the authority of others. And he's doing all of this for the benefit of the church. And so in these words, the gift is supplied by the putting on of hands. And yes, Paul is highlighting his own involvement personally on that occasion. But chapter 4 of the first letter makes it clear it is in the context of the church generally. So that's the source and the supply of the gift. What about the use of the gift? Well, again, back to chapter 4 of the first letter, and you'll see what was Timothy's gift. What was he to do with it? Verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, neglect not the gift. Now, it seems to be the case that Timothy was having a fainting fit here. Not the first, not the last. He finds himself as a young man, and he's struggling with his role in the church. Let no man despise thy youth, verse number 12. Till I come, read, exhort, teach. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. What's Paul? What's Timothy's gift? He's a man gifted in the word of God. 
public reading of the Word, public exhortation from the Word, public teaching out of the Word. That's the gift. And he's to use that gift. You see, in simple terms, God blesses the church by gifting men to minister to the church. I always find, I always find myself feeling uncomfortable at this point. Genuinely, this is, this is something that's very hard as a preacher to preach about. Because certainly men have misused this sort of language. Pastors have essentially abused and bullied the church. Promoted their own will, their own agenda. All the while saying, I'm a gift of God to this church. And I'm not doing that. Please understand I'm not doing that. But at the same point, it's important to remember that in the purpose of Christ, there are those who are given by the resurrected and ascended Christ, pastors, teachers for the ministry, for the benefit of the body of Christ. And it is vital. And please, please understand, I'm saying this with profound humility. It is vital that you value the gift that God has given you. Not me. It's not about me. Please understand, it's not about me. It's about the ministry that God has given. And one, uh, I trust in God's will in the future, perhaps more than one man in this place, with the gift of ministry for the teaching of the people of God. That Christ would give gifts for the well-being of the church. And that we value those gifts. And we realize that when the Word of God is preached faithfully in the Lord's Day, that's a kindness from God's. And for those of you in Orlando, I know you know this. Let me remind you again, God has given you a gift. And thank the Lord for it. We value that gift. But as you value the gift, please also check your heart and make sure you value the church. You see, in light of this text, we see the centrality of the church. God has established His church to bless His church. I'm using the two words differently there. He's established local churches to bless His people, to bless those who are redeemed. This church is vital for your spiritual well-being. And those who seek to live the Christian life outside the church do so to their detriment. I'm not excusing any pastoral abuse or any church abuse or church sin or church apostasy. I'm talking about faithful men in faithful churches. But a faithful man in a faithful church is a blessing from God. God is pleased to encourage you in that. Which leads solemnly to the weakness of the man. You see, Paul is encouraging Timothy, but he's also pointing out the weakness. Stir up the gift, Timothy, because there's something not right. And the problem here is that Timothy has not put to death a timid, fearful spirit. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, verse number 7. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. The word fear here is very unique at this point. It's not the general word for fear. You know, we have the word phobia. That's the regular word that's used in the New Testament for fear. That's used in a very good sense, often the times, with the idea of fearing God. It's good to fear God. Fear God, honor the King. Those languages, even in the New Testament, we are, we are those who are to fear the Lord. But what you have here is the fear of man. The fear of man that brings the snare. One commentator says this way, In fact, the word that Paul uses for fear, which is used only this one time in the entire New Testament, means cowardice and fearfulness that causes a person to compromise his principles 
when it becomes risky to hold them. Compromise. Out of cowardice. That's the danger for Timothy here. You see, wrong thinking comes and produces the wrong sort of fear. The wrong sort of fear can lead to timidity in the work of God. You see, this perhaps is an incorrect theology of the Christian life. I I don't know for certain. I'm speculating here to some degree. But it may be the case that Timothy has got a wrong view of the kingdom. Christ is king. Therefore, why is his chief apostle suffering in prison? You see, the opposite of this timidity, verse 7, is in verse number 8 in the exhortation, Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. And it may well be that Timothy is shunning those afflictions. I don't know for certain, but it may be he's shunning those afflictions because he denies the fact that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I don't know for certain. But there's something going on in Timothy's mind. And it's produced the wrong sort of fear. And in so doing, the impact of this wrong fear is to hinder the use of God's gifts. And if the man of God or the people of God generally will shun suffering, they will end up stopping speaking. It's a warning to the church today. We are not called to be obnoxious. That is not our calling. But the people of God must call out sin faithfully and must preach Christ fearlessly. And if the fear of consequence trouble our hearts, it will dampen down the fire of the gift. Whatever your gift is, remember you've all a gift. There's a gift for the good of the church. If you're going to exercise your gift, For the good of the church, you're going to have to stand publicly and say, I'm a follower of Christ Jesus. And this is my church. And these are my people. And no matter what the world thinks of my people and my church, this is where I am. And I'm going to serve the Lord in this place. No matter the public consequence. You know, there are people and they're embarrassed about the church. They kind of go undercover. Leave early in the morning where the neighbors see them. Sneak out quietly and get to church and then come back again. I'm, listen, I'm being facetious here. I understand that these are extreme circumstances, but you understand how easy that could happen? How easy it could be for our fear of public disapproval from hindering our faithfulness in serving the Lord. What about your faithfulness to Christ? Are you faithful in this regard? And see, before I go on, I want to say something again to the Orlando congregation. You can all listen in. What you see here in the weakness of Timothy is a reminder, dear people in Orlando, that you have called a man. A man, a man with weakness. And as our brother elder will go to work in Orlando, you must understand that at times he will not do everything you ask of him and he will make mistakes and shows weakness at certain times. And without ever excusing his sins, if there are sins in that area, it is important that as a church family in Orlando, you exercise patience and grace for no man is perfect. And if Timothy 
If Timothy has these fainting fits, then so any man of God can have these fainting fits. And therefore, dear people, as you call a man and you see him coming to you in January in the will of God, please remember he is a man and the best of men are only men at best. But as you call Mr. Elder and bring him down to Orlando, please understand that it is your responsibility to remind the man of God who he is and what he has called, what he's been called to do. He has a gift from God. Remind him he's a man of God to preach the word of God to your souls and make sure that comes first. The weakness of the man. And as I reflect upon it, I simply ask you all again, please pray for me. Please pray for me in the ministry here. The weakness of the man. Thirdly, and with a crescendo of encouragement, you have the fact that Paul encourages Timothy by the work of the Spirit in Timothy. Verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Those of you who like to dig into these things will understand that in verse number 7, there's a great degree of debate regarding what form the S should have in the word spirit. Should it be uppercase or lowercase? Should it refer to the Holy Spirit or refer to our spirit? Well, the natural reading seems to refer to our spirit, hence our authorized version has not capitalized the word spirit in verse number 7. It seems to refer that we have not a disposition of fear, but rather of power and of love and of a sound mind. However, having said that, I think there is a very strong argument for the concept here of the work of the Spirit producing these things in the heart. You see, go back to Romans chapter 8, and you'll see a similar construct in Romans chapter 8. This time referring to the spirit of adoption, the spirit of bondage, Romans chapter 8. And the verse number 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby ye cry, cry, Abba, Father. You see the construct there? And the capitalization of the spirit of adoption. But the sense also that ye have not received a Holy Spirit that produces bondage but rather one of adoption. And so it may well be there's a thought in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that the Spirit of God is the focus of the attention here. God hath given us His Spirit, and the Spirit does not produce fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Perhaps Patrick Fairburn puts it best in his commentary. He says this, By Spirit here may be understood either God's Spirit working in a certain manner in us, or our own spirit as wrought upon and formed by God. Practically, it comes much to the same thing. Since either way, the gift is of God, obtained by direct fellowship with His Spirit. Hence, the heading of this point is the work of the Spirit in Timothy. Paul, he greatly, I believe, would encourage Timothy with with these words. And as he encourages Timothy, so... He should encourage us because we can serve Christ faithfully. You can serve Christ faithfully today, no matter the challenge, by the work of the Spirit in you. That's how we serve the Lord. It's by the work of the Spirit in us. Power. 
power. Strength when we are afraid. This word power is so often used with the third person of the Trinity. Let's look at these very quickly. Luke chapter 4. Just a few examples of this. Luke chapter 4, verse number 14, regarding the Lord's ministry. He's been baptized. He's conquered and known victory in the wilderness. Luke 4, verse 14. The Word of God tells us here, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. The Spirit that indwells the humanity of Jesus Christ in the mystery of the person of Christ, the Spirit that indwells Him is a Spirit that produces power. The same word used in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The dynamic power. The power that comes only by the work of the Spirit in our souls. You think of Acts chapter 1, the disciples are told to wait until they be due with power from on high. Again, the Spirit of God comes and baptizes them on the day of Pentecost. Or, or turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. And the reference here again are the Spirit of God that produces power in our hearts. Romans chapter 13. The verse number 13. Sorry, Romans 15. Sorry, Romans 15 verse 13. Romans 15, verse 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You see, here, here we see the Holy Ghost not only giving us the power of service, but the very power to believe. The power to endure in troubles. Because let's get to the very core of the issue here. You will not serve boldly unless you believe firmly. When your faith is weak, then man is huge and God is small. And faith becomes small. But the power of the Spirit of God produces within us strong faith, whereby we serve boldly and the gift is stirred up within us. It's only by the power of the Spirit of God. Look at verse 19 of the same chapter. Here Paul referring to his ministry through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. There you see the, the balance of both of these things. The Spirit produces faith and the Spirit enables service. The power of the Spirit of God. Of course, Paul often prays for the believers to know grace, strength, Praise the Colossian church. They be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. The power of His glory, divine power. That's the sense of those words. Colossians 1 verse 11. Strengthened all might His glorious power. The power, the divine power. Only the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, can give this power. You see, this is so personal for Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee. Remember those words, the thorn in the flesh? For my strength is made perfect in weakness. I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Can you think of a time in your life when you've been fearful? I'm not talking about the dark. Fear of a circumstance, a person, a future prospect. Fear of Monday, fear of next month, fear of an individual and their power in your life. You're fearful and all of those things. 
And let me tell you, when you think about a fear in your life, I guarantee you that at that point, at the point of your greatest fears, you felt the greatest weakness. When fears are large in our minds, we are very conscious of how weak we are to serve, to believe, to live for God. And therefore, at such times when fear is at its height, Jesus comes and all is lights. And the Spirit of God comes and ministers to our souls. And in our infirmities, we glory because we know the power of God. And we can say, Lord, you drew near and you strengthened me. I was about done. I was faint and failing. But by your power, your power, I did not fall. Depend upon the Spirit of God in such times. But this is not... This is not Paul telling Timothy what to do here. He's telling Timothy what's true here. He doesn't say to Timothy, depend upon the Spirit of God. He says to Timothy, you have the Spirit of God. And that Spirit gives you power, even though you may not be perceptive of that power. Stir up the gift. Because of what you are and what the Spirit of God does in your life. Power, love. It's interesting how love interacts with fear. When we know the fruit of the Spirit is love, we know the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit, Romans chapter 5. We understand the Spirit of God produces love. But how does faith and how does love and fear interact? Well, fear, this negative fear, this fear of man is an inward-looking emotion. Fear ultimately is a manifestation of selfishness. Now, I say this with gentleness. Please understand, we are all prone to this. But if you don't understand the anatomy of fear, you will not probably put it to death. And by fear, we are concerned often with ourselves. Now, I understand there are times that our fears are for the good of others. We may fear for our family, and so financial things come upon us, and we, we fear for our family. But the fear involved here for Timothy is a fear that will be self-preserving rather than a partaking of the afflictions of the gospel. And so what happens here, and again, one, one writer puts it this way, fear turns us inward, focusing our attention on our own benefit, well-being, and reputation. Love instead turns us toward our neighbors and their benefit and well-being. Fear asks, what will I lose? How will I be hurt? What if I feel? What's going to happen to me? But love asks, how can I give? How can I help? What can I do for others? God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of love. And so love... If I can paraphrase and not use in context, perfect love casts out fear. Hence, Timothy, and all of us, Paul says, use your gift in love for others. The Spirit of God has worked in your heart love for God and love for your fellow man. Therefore, use that gift. Love, thirdly, finally, a sound mind. It's another word only used here by Paul. But the idea is from a group, a word group from which 
we can get some idea of where this word means. Titus 2, well, let's, let's turn to Titus 2 because it's used three times, or the, the word group is used three times in Titus 2 in various ways. Again, these are not exactly the same words, but the same word grouping. Titus 2, verse number 2, it is the word temperate. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate. That's one word used there. And then verse number 4, this time the word sober is used, that they may teach the young woman to be sober. And then verse number 5, to be discreet. This is all the same family of words. Slight nuances of difference, but the same basic manner. And so when you put all that sober, discreet, temperate, the idea of our word in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is that in the face of fear, the Spirit of God enables us to be calm and composed even in a tough spot. That's the idea. Sound mind. It's not talking about your theological acumen. It's not referring to your orthodoxy. It's referring to your ability by the Spirit of God to be composed even though the winds are a gale around you. That you're not blown about, but you understand your strength is in God and you act under pressure in a manner that is calm. How do we react when we're under pressure? How do we react when we're afraid of the world or afraid of the future? How do we react in those times? Well, naturally, we may well panic. Some of you who are perhaps feeling very guilty right now because you look at your own life and you fear and you say, well, yeah, I'm not very calm or composed in this situation. Let me put this thought in your mind. Have you any idea how you would respond without the Spirit of God? Do you think things are bad right now with no Spirit warding against the flesh? You have no idea. And so whilst, yes, in life's troubles we battle, we understand the Spirit of God has given measures unto us. And at times the Spirit of God comes and gives a profound measure of a sound mind. Other times it's a lesser measure, but at the same point the Spirit of God has given to us to enable us to be calm and composed in the face of great adversity. Therefore, Timothy, do not fear. To fear, you're doing the opposite of what the Spirit of God is working in your life. He's given you this grace to act in a composed manner. If you like, the grace to be self-controlled, to serve others, using our gifts for others, though we are afraid. Ah, uh, we need the Lord, don't we? You come to the end of all this, and you see Timothy, a great and mighty man of God. Paul says, "I've none like him, and yet a man of God, subject to weakness." Ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And if not totally, at least it's a temptation to Timothy at this time. So we live, we live weak. We live in this world weak to serve the church in a hostile world. And we must have the Spirit of God working in us. Unsaved soul, you will not survive in this world without the Spirit of God. You need the Spirit. 
to enable you to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. You see, I'm thankful as I close that we have the same spirit. 2,000 years later, we have the very same spirit. And you know what? Over 2,000 years, the Spirit has served the church, ministering grace to believer after believer after believer, and there is not one iota of depletion of His power. Not one iota. Not one tiny, tiny little piece. He is the almighty power of the almighty God. And that is in you today, dear child of God. Spirit. If any man say, he hath not the Spirit, he hath none of his. So, dear believer, you have this Spirit. So be who you are. Enjoy who you are. In a world, though it may hate you, the love of God is precious, and the Spirit of God is powerful. Let's bow together, please, in a word of prayer. Almighty God, I thank you again for this church that you have given us and equipped so many people with so many gifts for the benefit of the entire body. Help us, O Lord, to serve each other, to stir up the gift within us. Pray, O Lord, that we would use all that you've given us for your glory in this world. Help us not to be afraid of man, Afraid of the shame of the gospel in the eyes of the world, help us to be determined. Oh Lord, help us just simply to know what we have. That we would, if you like, reckon ourselves, consider ourselves to be full of the Spirit and not full of fear. Help us to know and understand and then live for your glory. May your blessing indeed rest and abide upon us today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.